Scheming is the topic at hand at the moment, so to speak. We're going to meet Jason Glassberg, actually, if you listen to WGN radio regularly. You've met him before. He's an ethical hacker. And so, uh, Jason, I uh, I guess maybe it was Kevin Mitnick who uh, legitimized the oxymoron ethical hacker. How do you put that together? <laughs> yeah, no, I think so. Well, you know, what we are are basically good guys who impersonate bad guys to help bring to light flaws and mistakes that could cause good users of systems to cause trouble. So, you know, we basically like to uncover flaws and present them to the manufacturers and designers of the software so they can fix them before the bad guys take advantage of it. Now, I assume that your lot in life started out not being quite so ethical, so tell me about your childhood hijinks. <laughs> well, you know, actually, it, it's a funny thing. I started out uh, actually doing banking systems, online banking systems, and um, very interesting work, lots of fun. And um, back in the you know turn of the the, the, the century, two thousands, when the web started um, developing and people were doing more e-commerce, uh, the whole concept of these kind of online attacks. Uh, really, you know, brought to light, and it became interesting to kind of solve the problems of how to break something so you can show how to fix it. And really, the the best way to know how to break something is to know how to build it to begin with. So a lot of folks in this industry actually started out um, developing stuff to fix uh, problems and have kind of, you know, got on the the side of figuring out how to break them in order to really fix them, if that makes sense. Well, it does, but that's so horribly boring. When you first said that you started by, <laughs> by doing... Well, I can tell you the other story yeah. about how, you know, we were doing this stuff out of the basement, right? but it wouldn't be true. It well, wouldn't be true. Well, I, at, at the end of the day, it's a job well, yeah, right. that is very similar to a quality control expert. Right? No, I, I, the folks who go and, and, and look at stuff as it comes down the assembly line and make sure that the TV turns on and the refrigerator turns on. Really, it's, it's the same kind of line of work. It's just making sure that the stuff that it reaches consumers is actually put together yeah. to the highest possible state of quality. No, I, I, I do get that. But uh, being, uh, being a non-ethical phone freaker, I thought maybe you were a kindred spirit on some level. Oh, there you but, go. <laughs> but that's a, there you go. That's Back a, in the day, playing with yeah. little dial tone oh. machines. Well, actually, no, the blue boxes were much later than me. I was a step-by-step girl. I learned 2,600 cycles and how to break that. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that's terrific. By, by, the t- by the time the Captain Crunch whistles came about, I was an adult. I couldn't do this yeah. anymore. You see, as a child, you know they're not sending you to jail. But as an adult, they, they <laughs> might. Exactly. You know, so, so, but yeah. I did you try and tell the kids about this today and, and they just don't believe you. Oh, I know. I know. There was nothing better than taking the bus to the airport and using one pay phone dial all around the world through the tandems to make the one next to your ring. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was that. Was, awesome. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So but uh, you mentioned banking. And I think for most people, more than any other online concept, that's the one people have looked at over the years with trepidation. And part of that. I think is the banking industry's fault because they're always busy telling you that they're FDIC insured, but the FDIC does not insure online fraud. So with that in mind, you're sort of at the mercy of the bank making good if something goes bad. Yes, yes, you are. Now, of course, there are a number of anti-fraud laws per state. Uh, depending on the state you right. live in, you have certain more protections than others. 
And, you know, as far as online transactions, and we, we can talk about this at length, but you're always much better using a credit card as opposed oh. to an ATM oh, God, or yes. bank transfer because you've got certain federal protections regarding that. But, yeah, yes, you, you're, you're correct. I mean, there are certain limitations to the coverage um, with banking applications. Yeah, and, of course, the bank have the Know Your Customer plan, but I think that the depositor should have the Know Your Bank plan uh, because, uh, well, yeah. And, 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 quite frankly, the bank should be much more explicit, and there should be protections around the communications right. the banks provide to their clients because that's one of the highest vectors, if you will, of attack and fraud are these fake emails and fake phone calls that ostensibly come from a bank right. but really are coming from bad guys. Right. And in most cases, the easiest way to tell that is just look at the reply email. But unfortunately, in some cases, they're spoofing that now as well. Uh, absolutely. It's become... Super sophisticated. It used to be that would be the exact line of advice. Well, just don't click on the link. You know, look at the re- look at the reply. But they're able. Bad guys now are able to spoof entire email URL chains um, and put together such convincing emails that it's becoming a much more difficult problem. You know, it's very easy for people to scoff and say, "Oh, how could you fall for something like that?" But the level of sophistication these bad guys are are doing right now, it's really remarkable. It is. And traditionally, we thought, well, it's broken English of the Nigerian hackers, and you can tell. And of course, those are still around. You get those. But you're right. There is a level of sophistication. And I assume that they are delivered en masse robotically so that millions of people are getting these solicitations every day. And maybe they don't have an account at Chase, so it's not falling them, but maybe the next guy does, or at Citibank, or wherever, uh, PayPal. And so uh, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I got a PayPal account. This must be real. Right. Exactly. And and if you think about it in terms of economics, the cost of this crime is it it costs nothing to pull off. Right. Because what's the cost of generating 10,000 emails? Nothing. A couple of pennies and electricity. Right. So all they need is a a micro percentage for it to actually pay off and be a, a, you know, a, a workable scam. It's interesting because I know I was talking with, with a banker once about uh, uh, one of their employees had inadvertently sent social security numbers over the mail. And uh, they said, well, it's all right because we're, uh, we're protected at our end. And, of course, the customer's protected at their end. And I'm saying, wait a minute. Every node it's going through isn't. Those are open. That can be anywhere from two hours to two weeks. And this concept was completely lost on their IT guy. And I, yes. I, you know, I, I, he thought I was speaking Swahili at that point. And I, <laughs> well, we, we, we see that problem all the time. People talk about, well, it's just my phone number. Right. Or, oh, it's just my address. Or, or it's just my social security number. But the fact of the matter is, all those little pieces of information, when put together, wind up being able to make an online representation of yourself or someone else, right. which can cause you a lot of headache now, or even worse, 10 years down the line, when you forget that this stuff was exposed. Well, exactly. And by the time you know it, the damage is such that you may not be in a position to correct it. Yes. And one of the, one of the, one of the attacks that is, is most challenging and really just really terrible 
is, you know, we always see these health records being exposed, which, of course, you know, there's nothing more valuable on the black market than an entire set of health records, because that really can define every piece of information about you, your date of birth, social security number, address, blah, blah, blah. But what happens that's really terrible is that when your children, right, when some young minor's information is released, and you won't know about it for years, they'll just sit on it until they become of age, which could be 10, 12, 15 years down the line, and at that point, who even remembers? Right. So it's, it's a real problem. You know, and the fact is, people need to consider each one of these identifiable or personal identifiable, we call it PII. Right. Each, each element of this information is extremely important and valuable to a bad guy. Sure it is. And you mentioned yeah, you, away for free. you mentioned the health records, and I remember it, it's probably now 25, 30 years ago, and you probably were, if you were around, were aware of it as well. A lot of medical billing was done offshore, and probably still is. But at this time, there was a mega client who did not pay one of the medical billers in a country that did not have the same privacy laws. And the medical biller made it clear in writing all over the place that if I don't have payment in 24 hours, everyone's medical records are going online and there's nothing in my country prohibiting me from doing it. And uh, yeah, she got she got paid. Uh, but I thought... Funny that. Yeah, right, exactly. But I, I thought to myself, well, if... If we're talking about electronic records, it's only as good as the chain of custody is. And if you're sharing it with people in countries without the same privacy laws... Uh, yeah, it's like what could go wrong there? Uh, I we we don't have any laws that prohibit trustees of this fiduciary responsibility people from doing that. Right. Well, fortunately. There has been vast improvements in the way these records can be stored, not necessarily the way they are stored, but, you know, things like tokenization and encryption and being able to use one-time keys to to store this data, you know, on a very large commercial level has gone a a great way, a great distance in, in securing this stuff while it's visually stored. The problem is, is the keys to the kingdom oftentimes are let loose. And at that point, you know, it's game over. So the risk is is always potentially there. Absolutely, it's there. And the most annoying part of it, at least to my mind, is the number of people who, when they discover that they've been compromised, will go to great lengths for it to not to come out, which means that by the time it does come out, and invariably it does, it's way down the line of trying to close that door. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, because I don't know if you remember, I guess it was three or four years ago, the the Home Depot breach. Yes. Where Home Depot lost, you know, at the time it was a record of almost a million records. Yes. subsequently been dwarfed. But that was almost a watershed in the breach world, because up until that point, you had these breaches and the director of IT or some low-level fellow or gal, for that matter, would be dismissed, bad programming, bad security, blah, blah, blah. But that Home Depot hack, the CEO lost his job. That was the very first breach that was directly related to C-level executives losing their jobs. And it really put the kind of fear of the almighty in a lot of uh, C-level executive suites uh, about securing data. We saw a huge uptick in demand for security services, security reviews after that because of the fate of that C-level 
So it, 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 in some ways, it's, it's comforting to know that executives are paying a price. It's not comforting to know our data is being exposed, of course. But there is a certain level of responsibility now in the upper levels of these organizations. Well, it's good because they should hang for it. If it not, not only You're for, right. yeah, they, they absolutely should hang not, not only for for the breach, but for how they handle it. Because invariably, until yeah. recently, the reaction had been, "Let's keep this a secret," and that's right. uh, that that's just death to the people who are compromised. They need to know at that uh, minute. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I, I we do a lot of work globally, right? Because the world's all tied together, but. Specifically in, in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, there is a, a just a huge upswing of, of e-commerce. And there are absolutely no disclosure laws. Oh. Here in the U.S., in Europe, you know, there's a, there's a certain level. If you, there's so many records and so many, you know, data elements are released, they have to notify customers. There's a whole process you have to go through. Uh, that doesn't exist in large swaths of Asia. And it's very interesting to see the attitude because, as you say, it's, it's almost like the world was 25 years ago where they'll just go and try and cover it up. Right, right. And we can have all the laws alls in the world, but if we're dealing with these entities and these entities have no allegiance to any United States law, we're vulnerable dealing with them. Exactly, exactly. So we're, we're you know, I, 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 I'm sure this is going to be familiar to you, but we in security we always talk that the you know we're, the security is strong as the weakest link. Yeah, and so that weak link, weak weakest link could be a user with a vulnerable PC, or it could be a business partner who has absolutely no security practice in place. And to a business, that is the most frightening but very real concept. Now, one of the things I've noticed a real rise on, and most of these people have been municipalities that have tried to keep it secret, but is the number of small municipalities that have been hit with ransomware and have paid out literally half a million dollars in taxpayer dollars in small communities. And so... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know... It's, it's embarrassing. It, one of one of the places I do news for uh, this came to light, and I went to the you know the board of supervisors. I said, "Well, our head's going to roll. Well, it's over and done. We can't talk about this now." I, I'm uh, so basically the individual who allowed it to happen got off scot free, and yeah, and, and you know the whole ransomware thing. Well, you know it's terrible when it happens. I mean, it oh. is. It is it, it, look at the end of the day, these people are being victimized by a bad guy, yeah, or a bad group. But it's so relatively easy and preventable by just having a, a, a good security policy and backups. If you have backups that can take you to the day right before the ransomware attack, you just restore those backups and you're good to go. What it really demonstrates is just the lack of, of common sense IT practices, that, not even security, just regular disaster recovery backup plans and stuff like that. Which is revealed, and and that I think is is the most shameful part because so much of this is is either preventable or easily recovered from. Yeah, and there's also a lot of ignorance in this because in in one town I know of where this happened, that uh, they said, well we have all our backups, but they got hit too, and so I said you don't have backups if they're on your land, 
And literally, it was it was again like I was you know speaking Latvian, and uh, and this was at the highest levels of, of these communities. So uh, the the idea of backing up all your data to a server not on your land is completely foreign to these people, and yet right. yet it's a fairly easy process. Yeah. And, and it's something that should be part of every security plan, right? Just like you have a, a financial plan, you should have a, a data security plan. And that right. includes backups, disaster recovery. I mean, I think one of the things we're seeing right now, um, I, I'm being exposed to, which is, which is pretty interesting. We have clients in all phases of, of business. We have software development houses, we have internet e-commerce, and we have a lot of retail companies. Now, the uh, online services and the the uh, development houses were all pretty uh, set to go and do kind of uh, have working from home processes. They had VPNs. They had the ability to dial in so they could continue working. Most of our retail clients were just caught completely flat-footed in having the ability to have their their workers work from home and literally had to shut down. And it was just almost a complete lack of of disaster recovery. No one had thought about this potential problem, and so no one had planned for it, and they are suffering mightily. Which is which is so interesting because there's even so many commercial services. Okay, you don't do your own VPN, you go to Splashtop or whatever. There, there's a ton of things out there where you can be doing that in five minutes. Now, you might not be as protected exactly. as you should, but you you can do it. And, well, at uh, least you can continue a basic that, kind of business. Absolutely. And in, in the cases of most of these commercial applications, they don't care if you're Mac or, or Windows or Linux. It doesn't matter. Uh, they'll they'll right. accommodate anything. We're talking to Jason Glassberg, an ethical hacker, don't you know? He's the co-founder of Cassaba Security. You can go to Cassaba.com and read all about it. I'm Raleigh James. You can join us, 888-876-5593, raleigh on WGN Radio. We're talking to Jason Glassberg, an ethical hacker with Cassaba Security, Cassaba.com. And uh, I, I want to second what you said earlier about credit cards. I don't think it can be said enough. Uh, it's, uh, it's the government's gift to us in terms of protection. Uh, you have so many protections when things go bad with a, with a credit card that you do not have with a debit card or any ATM material. And it's amazing to me that people don't use it for everything. I go into 7-Eleven as a big gulp. Here's my 79 cents. Yeah, here's the Amex. You know, it doesn't matter to me, but uh, it's 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 true, Jason. It's uh, probably the biggest gift to our security we've got, and it's amazing to me how many people don't realize it. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing to me how many people don't take advantage of that, and how many people don't really check their statements carefully enough to see when issues arise with their credit cards. So a lot of, you know, I guess, you know, it's not for me to judge people's way of dealing with finances, but I, you know, I'm always looking at my bill like a hawk. Yeah. Only because you can never be too sure. Well, right. And, but, you know, that explains something. I'm always amazed when they say, do you want a receipt? Well, hell yes, I want a receipt. I want to compare it to the <laughs> statement when it comes in. You know, <laughs> but... It, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've actually, I mean, I've gone as, uh, so far as to have a credit card used specifically for um, online use. Oh, absolutely. Easy, the easiest way to, to trace my purchases, I, I've got a you know, family, I've got four kids, right. everyone needs something, but uh, if I don't, if, if they, those charges somehow get commingled with everyday charges, I'd lose them. Right, no, so no. I, I go and have my own specific card. 
Right, right. And pick one of those cashback cards that will give you 5% for online shopping. Right, and maybe go with one of those cards that double the warranty period yeah. when you buy stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so there, you know, it, 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 again, it's like everything else in life. Do a little research first, uh, and you'll always benefit from yeah. being a smart consumer. Yeah. Now, I got an email from Don, and he ha- and he could have called. That's 888-876-5593. And he said, well, I don't want to be in the cloud, so if I'm going to be backing up and it can't be on my LAN, how do I do that? Now, I'm really old school. I just say, well, back it up and pull the plug. But is there an easier way? Well, yeah. I mean, there, first of all, the first thing I would say is that I love the cloud, right? Because to my mind... The, the Microsofts and the Googles and the and the and the Amazons have based a billion dollar business on having these infrastructures be secure, and I will always trust their equipment over anything I could put together in my basement or you know dining room. So I would say backing up to the cloud or using one of these professional online services to back up is always a good idea. But of course, you're only going to back up what you tell them to back up. So, you know, you need to make sure you're doing a proper kind of backup. Right. Now, that being said, people might be uncomfortable with putting sensitive information up in the cloud. Of course, you can encrypt it, which is basically scrambling it and putting in a password so that no one, if they ever even got to your backup, would be able to undo it without a password. There are still older school ways of doing backups. I myself do multiple kinds of backup. Um, USB drives now are very cheap. You can get multiple hundred gigabyte drives for under a hundred dollars. Absolutely, plug one in, back up your My Documents folder once a week, once every couple of days. Put that disk on a shelf. Call it good. I, I, I do that with two or three different disks, um, and that way I revolve the backup. So I'm never relying on one particular piece of hardware. Right. So that's one way of doing it, uh, not online and relatively inexpensive. Yeah, it is inexpensive, and, and, it, and it's not difficult to do, and it's also not difficult to remember, especially if you're aware of what happens when you don't. Now, <laughs> Well, that's just it. Yeah. You know, it's one of these things you're, you'll be awfully sorry if you, if you just don't do it. You can even, depending on what your level of data requirements are, back up your most important documents to a 64-gigabyte USB key, which is under 10 bucks now. Now with uh, with Mac that's so lovely, uh, it automat- it'll automatically just back up everything and restore your hard drive. I haven't found a similar application for PCs that really works. Have you? No, not, they have the Time Machine backup for the Mac. Which yeah, right. Is it's the most wonderful. wonderful. Yes, thing. yes, it's absolutely fantastic. There, there really isn't. Um, but again, I, you know, I keep everything in a folder, a documents folder. So just moving that folder over to uh, a hard drive is is relatively simple. So while I agree Time Machine is the most fabulous backup invention known to man, um, I don't necessarily need it when I'm on a Windows machine. Yeah, I I don't understand why Windows hasn't come up with Time Machine, because I'm sort of a mixed network. Well, Mac, PC, some Linux, but uh, my Macs, nothing backs up like my Macs. And I I say to myself, come on, it's been a while Time Machine's been out there. How is it that PCs don't offer this? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of third-party software that's similar, but they're not built in the OS level, right? They're not as... Int- and that's true of just about everything Apple right. when you come to it. Look, they make the hardware, 
they make right. the software, right. it all works because there's no third party. Right. No. And that's the, but now you pay for that because you're going to pay much more for the, a comparable PC, but the level of convenience certainly um, is nice. Yeah, it'll be interesting. They're going away from Intel, as you know, and uh, I'll be curious yes. to see how that goes. And, uh, I, of course, I'm... Yeah, a- it's going to be... Pain. Well, <laughs> I don't it, know if you remember when they switched over from PowerPC to Intel. It was the same, you know, two-year, well, oh, this this really stinks. But then they, they adapted pretty well. One thing I would not do is sell uh, Apple short in the ability no. to implement their own hardware. Well, I just I just pray that they'll continue to care about OS X because the world is such an iOS world now, and that, uh, that somewhat drives me crazy. But you mentioned power PCs. I've still got them, a few of them, be, <laughs> uh, because, you know, companies that are now out of business like the people who made Peak, uh, th- you can't run them on Intel. So it's like, I don't want to give right. up Peak entirely, you know, that, that kind of thing. So uh, eventually, yeah. of course, it'll go away. And, and that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting problem, which kind of, you know, relates to something we had talked about earlier with these municipalities. Um, and, and that is, there is a lot of software that still requires some pretty ancient hardware oh, to God, run, yes. and and especially things like Windows XP, which hasn't been supported <sighs> in ten plus years, right? And so, a lot of these municipalities who fall victim to these ransomware may not be able to because the payroll system or some HR system has never been upgraded and requires this ancient, unpatchable system to run, which, of course, is a security vulnerability in and of itself. So, you know, that we also see a lot of that in, uh, in devices. Um, I don't know if you recall a year or two ago when the um, British Health Service was shut down with yes. a ransomware attack. Yes, as well they deserved and that it. Was and that was related to the fact that they were using embedded versions of Windows in the actual medical machines that, yeah. that couldn't be patched. Right, right. And like I say... So it's a significant yeah. problem. It's a, it's, a real, it's a real issue. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned uh, hardware. Well, also, a lot of the peripherals. Like, uh, I've got a great, great scanner. And uh, uh, unfortunately, it's the C word. It's a Canon, and so they they never update. <laughs> they never updated it I after. Have the same problem. Yeah. Well, then yeah, they didn't update the darn thing after Windows XP. So what I did was yeah. I I pulled out an old uh, old Windows XP, and because uh, you know ne- never can have too many old computers, and made sure it was never online in life itself, and said, well, here's my scanner PC. But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's exactly it. I wound up running my Canon scanner in a Linux uh, VM, okay. a virtual machine, yeah. only because they still have a driver for it in Linux. Right, but right. But no, Canon is one of, the, one of the worst at that. And you look at the new scanners, and oh my God, it's like they want $4,000 or something. And so it's like, I'm not getting a new scanner. You know, I'll find a way to make this work. But uh, Well, that's just it. It's, it's, the old, it's the old planned obsolescence trick. It, it's yeah. a perfectly fine, perfectly workable thing, but we want you to buy a new one, so yeah. we're now going to make it obsolete. Well, that, and now the, these these printers that are driving me crazy that uh, are tracking how many pages you have printed so that the toner cartridge will no longer work. And so I'm saying, what, my black my black tape doesn't work anymore, you know? And it's... Uh, yeah, well, and, and, and these printers that come by default with Internet connectivity... Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And... There are a number of vulnerabilities and exploits yeah. available for yeah. these printers that have 
just basically install themselves with every port open yes. to, to the Internet, and which is a, another thing. I mean, you know, we want to write the rules of how things should be made. You want to make it so everything it defaults to off, and you turn yeah. stuff on as you need it, not yeah. the opposite way. No, you're so right, and that's exactly how these, these lands go down, and people just say, huh? All right, James is in Chicago. Welcome to WGN Radio. Hello, uh, Raleigh. Uh, nice show. Um, I... I have two questions. One, I got, I got a, 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 I've gotten calls every now and then that where some, at least on my uh, thing, it's recognized as saying that's Apple, which I doubt it is. And it says, we have detected uh, uh, problems with your iCloud account. I don't have an iCloud account. <laughs> I've gone to actually ignoring those. Yes. You're exactly right. Ignore them. Yes, yes. They're they're just hoping you do have an account and will fall for it. So yes, you ignore those. Okay. And my second question uh, deals with uh, credit card things. Where okay, it's uh, uh, and this has been a regular one of recent things. Okay, due to the the tragedies of this time, we're offering each customer a a forgiveness of their account of their account. Ignore those two. Yeah, because one time they clicked it in on me, even though I was about to, okay, basically uh, the guy out, and then after a while the guy started cursing me. Yeah. Okay, I was kind of getting a, a, getting a kick out of this, okay? I, I almost wanted to say, well, okay, if you had a gun, you might as well just shoot your finger off. Oh, man. All right, James, you did the right thing. Anytime you get those phone calls, hang up. Okay, thank right. you. Thanks you have calling. a great show. Okay, appreciate Bye. that. Thanks. Actually, James is not alone. I'm glad he did mention that. We were, one of the things we were going to talk about extensively was uh, the COVID-19 scams. We may not get to that, so we'll have you back for that. But uh, I assume that in addition to all the emails, there are probably a lot of robocalls of, of, that James is getting, and others are too. Oh, oh, absolutely. It, it's a huge problem because not only do you get the, these robocalls, and again, they can just be just random dialed calls, people just hoping to see a number work, or it could be leaked information from some breach, which gives people an in, hey, I know your name uh, because I know this stuff. The, yeah. the other significant problem is that there is a lot of um, spoofing going yes. on where yes. you can actually... You, you, you can fool a caller ID number to produce a phone number that is not you. So meaning I of can course. go in and make a phone call for my cell phone that says I'm from a bank, even though it's not. It's from Jason. Anyone can do that. And this is, it's been, yes, it, it, there's software. You can just download software well, that allows you to do this. And, it, it, and it's been a huge problem. The yeah. government is actually doing something about this, though. Um, there's an interesting program that's going to be starting to roll out later this year. Um, called Shake and Stirred. So clearly the person who invented it was a James Bond fan. Right. But what it's going to do is going to verify telephone calls that originated from the number that says the caller ID was. And there'll be a special symbol on your cell phone that says this is a verified call. And it's going to be a huge boost uh, to stopping these kinds of robocalls. 
That's really now. Of course, here I am sitting where I spoof most of mine, so the number always turns out the same, no matter which one of my eleven numbers it is. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm about to be unverified. Oh well, we're talking with Jason Glassberg and the unverified Raleigh James on WGN Radio. We are talking with Jason Glassberg, the ethical hacker of Cassaba Security, Cassaba.com. And very little time, but the pressing question for many people, and I, I shudder to even ask it, Jason, is, well, I still have some Windows 7. Uh, that's not going to be a problem on the LAN, is it? <laughs> Upgrade and patch everything you can always would be my answer. Yeah, you know, uh, it just there's a reason why these companies spend untold millions, if not billions, constantly updating their software, and it's not just because they want to change a font or an icon. Microsoft and Apple are constantly getting um, vulnerabilities reported, and they're constantly patching these things. In fact, it became such a priority that the the fact is now that they 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 require you to update and patch your systems and that met with a lot of resistance but at the end of the at end of the day it, it's a good idea because people just weren't patching their systems unpatched systems are always going to be vulnerable windows 7 is no longer supported windows 7 will no longer get updates for security so it it's just it's time to update and move on I think the question comes from people who don't understand the robotics nature of it. They think, well, I'm a small player. We've only got four employees. Who'd want to hack me? And I think at this point, there are probably bots that are looking across the net just for Windows 7 machines. Well, exactly, exactly. And these things, you know, there really are two kinds of, of, of attacks in, in this world. And it's akin to having a, 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 car, a, a car seat, right? A car thief can either be looking for a specific car, a 2007 Honda, because they know that they need parts, they know the car, they know how to get in, they know exactly what they need to do once they see that car. Or then there's the car thief that looks for a crime of opportunity. They're looking for a car with the keys and the ignition and the windows rolled down, right? And they're just going to take any old car. And that's what's going to happen to someone who runs an old, unpatched system. They may not be specifically targeted because they're some small potatoes and don't really mean much in the, in the scheme of things, but the fact that they're leaving their windows down and their keys in the ignition means they're such an easy target, a bad guy just can't resist. Well, that's right. And and the bad guy in this form is robotic. It's not necessarily someone who's hacking you personally. And I think that's a, exactly. a very big misconception that I uh, uh, that I see with that. With regard to uh, the dreaded Windows 10, and I mean, well, anything is better than 8, of course, but uh, with 10, they, they claim you can control those updates. But if you look a little closer, you can't control the security definition updates unless you aren't going to make changes to your registry and things like like that. I wish to heck they were better at doing that without knocking programs off. Because when you run radio stations, and I I have a few of them, I wind up sometimes being off the air because of a Windows 10 update. And I know I'm not alone. And I think that's the unintended consequence, right? You can never have the perfect scenario. No. And and so either you, you take your lumps, 
Or, you know, basically now they're allowing you to delay it for a well, week. Well, not, a month, not all of it. Version. Again, not, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pro everywhere, but even that, not all of it. If you look at it, unless you've found something, I don't know. Yeah, I could make registry, registry changes or I could, uh, you know, disable the whole thing, but then I've defeated the entire process. But I was, right. I was surprised to see some of those definitions. I don't care how long you delay everything else, they're coming through. Well, that would be the virus definition as opposed to the full-on right. OS. Well, action, and, and right? some of those virus, they might as well hit control, alternate, delete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I, 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 I can't be an apologist for them. I wish they did a better job, too. I was recently knocked off offline because of an update patch myself. It happens to everyone. Yes. Um, I guess that's just kind of our brave new world. Yeah, and it, but it, it seems that they do it with, with uh, wanton disregard and alarming regularity. And also, it's not necessarily the same machine-to-machine, which is a whole other discussion, of course. But uh, Right, and, and, you know, so much has changed in the way software is developed. Again, this could be another yeah. great conversation to have the, the difference between DevOps versus the whole waterfall and running through testing cycles. You know, right. right now... For so much of the software nowadays, the user is the tester. Yes, absolutely. But you know, if <laughs> so, if you go back to that's this, a big problem. yeah, and, but if you go back to the six forty k prompt and and Borland and things like this, you've you've been a tester for a long time, so it's right. uh, it's nothing terribly new. I'm not I'm not expecting it to be a, a utility where I turn it on and it just works. Well, this has been great, and uh, I have to ask you back because we do need to talk about COVID nineteen scams. We didn't even get into them, and they are a big problem. So, <laughs> will you join us again? Absolutely. It's a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it immensely. All right. Thanks, Jason. We'll talk to you soon. Jason Glassberg, Kasaba.com.